This is Chapter 119 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS ADD Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, we get the story behind this summer's hottest thriller. A YA queen returns to the world of adult fiction. Plus, we explore the idea of cellular memory and organ transplants. This week's Beach Read is shaping up to be one of the hottest books of the summer. It centers around a shadow group that, through methods of violence and coercion, gets parents to kidnap kids in order to get their own kidnapped kids released. The book, described as Jaws for Parents by author Don Winslow, is the brainchild of Adrian McKinty, who had all but given up as a writer before landing on the bestseller list with The Chain. I asked him where he got the idea. Oh, well, you know, it's a lot of different elements. Um, I think the first thing was I was in Mexico City uh, about six years ago working on a book about the um, assassination of Leon Trotsky. And that was a terrible idea, and it was just going nowhere. (laughs) I kept meeting people in cantinas and saying, what are you doing in Mexico? People I knew. And I kept saying, what are you doing in Mexico City? And he said, oh, I'm working on a book about the assassination of Trotsky. Another one? What the hell? (laughs) So such a stupid idea. And um, so, and then I was reading in the local paper about this kidnapping scheme that they had. It was really interesting to me. Um, it was this thing called exchange kidnappings, where they kidnapped a vulnerable member of your family, say your grandmother, and you couldn't afford to pay the ransom yet, but you hated the fact that your grandmother had been kidnapped. So then you swapped yourself out for the more vulnerable member of your family while the rest of your family um, raised the money to pay off the kidnapper. So you would meet in a, in, a, in a place and then they would exchange your grandmother for you and you'd go off. So I remember reading this in the local paper and I'd never heard anything like it. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And then, I, you know, I went back to my hotel room that night and I started playing around with ideas. And then I remembered from my childhood, I grew up in the 70s and rural Ireland, and we used to get in, in, in my primary school these awful, terrible chain letters that would come in and they would say, make three copies or your mother will die. And, uh, you know, it's a very superstitious part of Ireland that we believed that stuff. And um, so we would make the three copies and send them on. And and and, and, and I thought to myself in the hotel room, I wonder if, if there would be a way of combining these two different concepts the idea of exchange kidnappings and exchange and chain letters. And then I kind of thought, yeah, you could have a chain of kidnappings set up by this anonymous evil organization. And then I started writing down notes for a short story. And, uh, but you know the way these things are. I, I, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, but then when I got back home, it seemed like a lot of work to um, put it into a novel. So I, uh, I just kind of left it in a drawer for about five or six years. I think any parent who reads the book is going to be asking themselves, if this was my child, what would I do? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I, I you know, I mean, my, my pitch of the story was basically, you know, it's an ordinary woman without any special skills at all. And, you know, she's tasked to do extraordinary things and she has to learn on the job and she has to go on this moral and ethical descent into the abyss. And uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people have said to me, oh, I wouldn't, when I've done book readings and things, they said to me, oh, I wouldn't do this, I wouldn't do that. 
Um, but really, everybody has to decide for themselves you know, what the limits of their actions would be. And for me, I thought everything that Rachel did in the novel was ethically questionable, yes, and morally dubious, yes, but understandable. Um, I think most people, when the life of their, their child is threatened or imperiled, um, they would go to the ends of the earth. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think like any normal person, you know, she it's not like it came very easy to her. She really struggled in all the steps she had to take along the way. Yeah, I know. One of the things that slightly bothered me, there was two big movies that were in my head, and those were Ransom and Taken. And in Ransom, Mel Gibson's a millionaire, so he has access to a lot of resources. And in Taken, um, Big Liam Neeson um, has a special set of skills. And uh, I wanted a lady who was a working-class mom, single mom, with no special set of skills at all, and she has to learn on the job about how to break into a house, how to fire a gun, how to do all these things that were you know, almost impossible for, for her at the start. And, you know, in fiction, they always talk about a character who arcs, who learns and grows and changes. And my goodness, in the space of three days, she has become a completely different person than she was when she got that phone call. There's also a really good lesson about how we use social media contained within this book's pages. Oh, good Lord. I mean, that was the biggest surprise to me. I'm not actually on Facebook, um, so I had to do research on that. I was going to ask, are you an oversharer? But I guess that kind of answers my question. No, I I wasn't on Facebook at all. I mean, I'm on Twitter. You know, I'm, I'm so naive on Twitter. I didn't realize there was a button that was on Twitter that told everyone where your location was all the time. And I've been on Twitter for about three years uh, before I started doing the research for this book and realized that every time I would tweet, I was telling someone exactly where I was at all times. And then when I read that, that you could turn the button off very easily, I turned it off because I didn't realize it had been broadcasting the location all the time. And then I went on Facebook and oh my goodness, what a revelation that was. And my wife is on Facebook. And, and all you have to do on Facebook is click any of her friends and you can read all their profiles. And then you get all their friends of friends profiles. And then you can read all their entire feed and what's going on in their life. And some people just revealed the most extraordinary things. I remember there's this one lady, and this was a saga I followed for about three days. And her, the back door of her house was broken. And she did a Facebook post explaining that the handyman hadn't showed up. And then sarcastically, she said um, on Facebook, well, now that means anybody can break into my house at any time. They could come in and burgle the house or murder me. And then exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And I was going, wait a minute. You've just told everybody that the back door of your house is broken and does not close. And then I thought, this is crazy. And then the next day, she went off to work. And then she said, handyman still has not shown up. Um, back door still unlocked. I could be burgled while I'm off at work the whole day. <laughs> I don't think it was just, now you've told everybody your back door is unlocked and you're going to be gone for like eight hours. I was gonna look. This, is an, this is madness. So I, from my wife's account, I did a message to her on um, on Facebook saying, please delete that post, please. I mean, I've read it, and God knows how many other people have read this. And you've given your address, and the fact you've, you've explained how to get egress in and out of your house. 
and um, and then when I did that to her, she about four hours later she did in fact delete the post. And, oh my goodness, the stuff that people were sharing on Facebook about their locations, their access to their houses. There was one. Um, I think it was a man in England, and he was having trouble paying a bill. So he put his entire bank details on his Facebook page, including the password to his account. Oh and he, had, he and he had asked. He, I think he had been painted. He, the, uh, painters had come and painted his house, and he could not get them to accept payment. And he said, and he said to them, "Please just open up my account and delete the money that you need, and then close my account again." And, and he was uh, he was an older gentleman. And I, again, I tweeted, I texted him on Facebook. I said, please delete this information. Anyone can just get into your bank account with this password. Please, please delete. And he obviously didn't read the, my post until the next day. So that was up for about 14 hours, um, just his entire bank details and passwords. So that, it's just, it, that was an amazing, eye-opening experience. And um, and hopefully people will be a little bit safer when they go online. I tell you what, if after reading their book and hearing those couple of stories they don't, then they deserve whatever's coming their way. <laughs> oh, my God. You really, you know, you should caveat emptor. You should just be cautious um, because you think you're just sharing these messages with your friends who you trust. But in fact, you're sharing them with the entire population of the earth. And um, that's something you should definitely be aware of. So let's uh, take another tack. The chain is poised to become like one of the big summer hits. Yet you were teaching and driving an Uber two years ago and was actually contemplating giving up on writing. What kept you going? Well, I'll tell you what happened was that I'd, I'd, I'd been writing these series of books set in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And um, they were, they were a series of detective stories. And like a lot of midlist writers, um, they were getting good reviews and uh, nice notices, and I was winning a few awards along the way. But just no one was really buying these books, especially in America. It was a very hard sell to convince people, oh, my goodness, this this story set in the Troubles, 1980s Belfast. But it's not depressing. You know, they're fun. I mean, you can say that to people, but when people look at the covers and they, they sort of read, the stories about the book, they think, oh, I'm not going to buy this. This does not sound like fun. So my income was just diminishing and diminishing and diminishing over the years. And then we had a bit of a crisis about just over two and a half years ago where my wife was working full-time as a teacher, and but still it was very hard to make ends meet. And uh, one thing led to another, and we ended up being evicted from our house. And... Um, I mean, you get evicted, they put all your stuff in on the sidewalk in front of your stuff, in front of your house. And I found this really crushing uh, as a dad. And um, my youngest daughter said to me, um, as they were putting all her stuff out there, Daddy, is everything going to be okay? And, and everything was okay. We had friends rallied around to us and looked after our girls while we found another place and we got another place. And the girls loved their new house. And everything turned out to be fine. But when my youngest said that to me, you know, it, it really broke my heart. And and I thought to myself, I said to her at the time, yes, everything's going to be fine. Of course it is, darling. But I was thinking, is everything going to be fine, Adrian? You've been off in this so typical male ego trip as a writer when, in fact, your wife's been the one doing all the heavy lifting in this family, bringing in the actual money, raising the kids while you've been off it 
conferences and stuff throughout the world. And um, you're going to quit all this and you're going to get a job. And I did. The very next day, I went down to an employment office and I got a bar job that day. And um, I did some delivery work and I registered my car as an Uber. So um, I just basically decided that I was going to put the writing on hold for a couple of years and do other things to provide for my family like a, a good father should. And then did you remember that this short story was sitting in a drawer somewhere? No. So I, I basically quit and, um, and, and I'd been blogging all the time and doing reviews and stuff like that. And I knew I was going to stop all that stuff because um, you, you, I wasn't being paid for that. And I wanted to do stuff that pro- provided for my family. So I just did a very brief blog post saying, look, I'm stopping all this. If you don't hear from me again, please don't worry. Um, there's no health issues at all. It's just that I'm working now and I've got two or three different jobs and that's it. And I'm stopping writing for a couple of years or you know, maybe for good. And, <laughs> and I got this phone call from Don Winslow, the American crime writer. And he called me up out of the blue and says, Adrian, what's this about you quitting writing? And I said, Don, yeah, I'm sorry, but it's true. Um, it just hasn't worked out for me, um, you know, in terms of finances. And he said, oh, please don't do that. I've been so looking forward to reading your next book. And, and I said, look, mate, there's not going to be a next book. Uh, you know, I, I just needed to, to focus on my family. And he said, all right, I'm going to put you in touch with my agent. He's the one that talked me into writing again when I quit five years ago. And uh, maybe he can talk you back into writing again. And here we are. Not only do you have a hot book, but you have an impressive movie deal as well. Yeah, I know. That was our whole surprise. Um, when I when I got talked into finishing the chain or starting the chain, um, they you know, my agent said, look, there might be movie interest. But, you know, they always say that and you, they get your hopes up. And so I said, look, please, I don't want to know about any of that until there's a contract to be signed. <laughs> and they called me up about two weeks ago and said, Adrian, remember you want to be kept out of it until there's a contract to be signed? And I said, yes. And they said, well, there's a contract to be signed today. Um, Paramount Pictures want to buy your book. And I just went, oh, my God. And uh, so, yes, uh, that is uh, that I, I can't get my head around that at all. Now, I know that, you know, authors don't always write with an actor or an actress in mind, and you probably can't say too much because everything's in the early stages. But do you have in your head who would play Rachel? I really don't. I I, I didn't. You know, it's funny when I I didn't write it with a a person in mind or an archetype in mind at all. So whoever they pick will be completely fine with me. The only thing I would really love, uh, and I know you can also do this, but my God, I'd love a cameo. Or just to be in the background. I, I always feel I've been a bit of a frustrated ham my entire life. And I, I, would, I would love to be, if somebody's selling them a magazine or a newspaper or a pack of cigarettes, uh, I, I would be so excited if I, if I could be one of those people just in the background. Although I, think I, I have a terrible fear that I'd be looking at the camera and winking and waving <laughs> and holding up the hello mom sign, you know. Hey, listen, Lee, Lee Child got to be in the Jack Reacher movie, so I, know I don't know did. why it wouldn't work out for you. You should have had that written into that contract. I know. Lee was pretty good in those movies. And, uh, and uh, in, you know, 
there's a lot of like people, and they Stephen King's done a lot of cameos mm-hmm. in these movies. So I would I would absolutely love it. And Stan Lee was in, I believe, every Spider-Man movie, and in all different the Marvel parts. movies, yeah, yeah, and, and all the Marvel movies. But but I want a speaking line. I want to, even if it's just um, that'll be three bucks fifty, <laughs> something like that. I can just imagine the director going, "Oh my God, this is take forty-seven. All they had to say was that's three bucks fifty. How difficult is that? What is wrong with this guy? You know? Yeah. So absolutely, I, I, I definitely want to. I want a cameo if it's possible. Well, I hope you get to live out that dream. In the meantime, enjoy the success that the chain is having. Thank you very much. Adrian McKinty, go out and get the chain. I don't think anybody will regret picking it up. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, as you say, if you're looking for a, a thrill ride this summer, I think this could be the one for you. Readers of a certain age will know Melissa De La Cruz from her wildly popular Descendants, Alex and Eliza, and Blue Blood series. The author makes her return to adult fiction with the domestic suspense thriller The Birthday Girl. And readers of a different age might find themselves relating to the feelings the main character is having as her 40th birthday approaches. Our Tanya Hansen got all the details. What made you decide to return to adult fiction? Uh, I think I dip my toes in adult every five years <laughs> or so. I uh, My first novel was an adult uh, contemporary, and then I wrote Witches of East End, which was an adult uh, fantasy, uh, and I think that was published maybe seven years ago, and I had the idea for this book about 10 years ago uh, when I was on the cusp of my 40th birthday, and I remember thinking this is such a strange feeling of wanting so much attention, validation, extravagance for turning 40. And I wanted to have this huge party at the house in Palm Springs that we bought. And I joked that I bought it to throw a birthday party in. But I never had the party uh, because I was a little bit uh, taken aback and grossed out by the feeling of this delusional um, 40th extravaganza. <laughs> but I had the idea for the book. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and I kept the idea for about 10 years. And finally, my husband said, just write that book already. You keep talking about it. <laughs> well, it certainly rolled off because it it starts off quickly and it just keeps on going. You know, it's a real page turner. You keep wanting to read, which is definitely a huge accomplishment, I would say, for every <laughs> author. Right. And so your home in Palm Beach was an inspiration for this. And of course, your main character, Ellie, this is what she's doing. She's celebrating her 40th birthday and she gets a phone call secrets start to unravel i find it interesting that you went back and forth between her 40th birthday and a 16th birthday party yes i uh i knew something terrible had happened to her past uh but it wasn't until i figured out it would be interesting if i um uh, kind of contrasted the 16th birthday and the 40th birthday because she grew up poor. She grew up in a trailer park. And at 40, she, you know, owns this multi-million dollar business. She's so successful. You know, it seems like her life is perfect. But to contrast that to what happened in her past and have the past kind of haunt her present, I thought that'd be kind of fun. Because it's always when we're celebrating, you know, all our achievements and think that we're so great is when the whole world starts start crumbling down. <laughs> and you also uh, used names in a really clever way, because I will tell you, there, of course, <laughs> is a twist that I did not see coming. 
and oh, <laughs> I was I was totally jaw dropping, opened mouthed, thinking, "Oh my oh, gosh!" <laughs> oh, I'm so glad that worked! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> now, is it difficult to follow follow your character, or are they in your head and you've kind of plan them out? Do they come to you in a certain way? Um, yeah, you know, um, Ellie kind of came to me whole. I mean, I knew what, that she'd had this hard scrabble background, um, and I knew that she was superly successful, um, and I knew that she had kind of a complicated uh, family life and a complicated, uh, you know, uh, marital uh, history. <laughs> um and, you know, she kind of came to me fully formed, which was really fun. Uh, and I wanted to have that structure for that twist because I'd read a couple of books um, that had something like that where, um, you know, you were really taken aback and the story works. You know, when you reread it, you can see all of the um, kind of the hints for that twist. And I thought that was so fun. And I kept that um, idea for a long time. And I've always wanted to write a murder mystery uh, 20 years ago when I first started in um, uh, in the business. After I wrote my first novel, I said, oh, I want to write a murder mystery now. And I sent it to my editor and she said, yeah, no, you can't write murder mysteries. <laughs> but I think 20 years later, I finally um, understood uh, how to do it, how to do the plot, the structure. And I think it all just kind of came together with this character I've been holding in my head for a long time. Melissa, what do you hope that your readers get out of your stories? Um, You know, first uh, and foremost, I like to entertain people and I want to keep them amused. And like you said, you know, keep the pages turning. Um, I'm a huge reader as well. And I want a story and I want something that'll, you know, make me escape from my life and kind of get engrossed in something else. Um, but I also like when people, you know, read books and they see themselves in it. And it's just, you know, it's so fun when I read or watch something and say, oh, my God, you know, I can still relate. And uh, when people read that and they said, oh, my God, I'm turning 40 or I had that same feeling or, you know, I remember, you know, feeling that way or, you know, yes, you know, a complicated relationship with your husband, with your friends, with your children. Um, so I think that, you know, I want to amuse people, but then also um, hopefully uh, reveal something about, you know, um, life <laughs> that everybody can feel like, oh, OK, <laughs> you know, and it, I think it ends well. <laughs> of course, you've been very successful as an author and your books, many of them have also been turned into movies or TV movies. Is that something uh, that you think about once you've written a novel at this point? Um, I think earlier in my career, it's always this dream that, oh, it'll be turned into a movie or it'll be turned into a TV show uh, and it'll be a phenomenon and it'll be on the cover of, you know, all the magazines. Uh, but I think as, you know, I've experienced it, first of all, it's so surreal when it actually does happen and you see the billboards with your characters uh, when we had Witches East End and saw the billboards down Sunset Boulevard. It was just so kind of amazing and you know it's it's not real and you're and uh, you can't even kind of like feel it because it's only after you process it like that was really fun we used to watch my tv show every sunday <laughs> um but when i'm writing i don't think about that you know i'm just in the story that i want to tell yeah well i really like this book and i would like to see it actually on tv or in the movies i thought it would be great because <laughs> oh, <yay. laughs> you have a lot of really interesting characters 
in the book. And like I said, it really does move quickly. So, Oh, thank you so much. Melissa Yay. Dela Cruz is the author. Her new novel is The Birthday Girl. Melissa, thank you for joining us. In The Heartkeeper, a grieving mother is driven to madness as she desperately tries to connect with the little girl who received her deceased daughter's heart. It's a Scandinavian domestic thriller that will leave you both appalled at the main character's decisions as well as sympathetic towards her. I recently reached author Alex Dahl in Norway. So The Heartkeeper tells the story of two families, uh, very different families. One family has recently lost their only daughter in very tragic circumstances. And the other family, which is a single parent family, um, their seven, her seven-year-old daughter has just received a new heart in a transplant. And the mother of the child that has passed away comes into contact with the mother and child who have received her dead daughter's heart. And things sort of spiral a little bit. And it's really kind of terrifying, the, the steps that Allison starts to take and the path she starts to go down. But you can totally understand why she would become so obsessed. Yes, I really wanted to, like, I needed to understand how she could go to those lengths, I think. And I think considering those circumstances that as, as a parent, you would, you would be willing to believe almost anything if you thought you could reconnect with your child somehow. And I know motherhood is something you often write about. Why do you find it such an interesting theme? I think because as an author, it it gives you accessibility to something that a lot of people can relate to the fears that surround that motherhood. And so it gives me a lot to work with, you know, in terms of playing off that fear. And I I like the domestic thriller as a genre because it deals with you know, fear and terror in situations that are familiar to a lot of people rather than more outlandish plot structures. So I like the I like the familiarity of it. And what inspired your story? Because that's, yeah, I think readers will be really interested in, in knowing that backstory to the story. I was actually planning to write another book when I had the idea for The Heartkeeper. And it was kind of, it was Allison as a character that came to me really insistently. Um... I wanted to write a character that would spiral into madness, not because she is mad, but because grief drives her mad. Um, And I had, 12 years ago, my son was very, very ill as an infant. And I I remember the terror of it, like this, this crazy time that was just so unbelievably fearful. And I think I used that quite a lot in creating Allison, and also to a certain extent, Isoline the other main character. And you also stumbled across some research that's been done and some articles that have been written about cellular memory, right? Yeah. I I do quite a lot of research into cellular memory, but I, I wanted the book to touch on that in the way that my character would naturally come across it in, you know, in her role in the story. I didn't want to do anything conclusive and say, you know, this is real or this is not real. It, it's what she believes. And certain things happen in the book that would reinforce that belief for sure. And for people not familiar with that concept and how it applies to organ donors, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Cellular memory talks about how every cell of the human body holds the complete genetic material of that person, including presumably things like experiences, memories, or traces of those things. And, you know, I did come across a lot of very interesting things about people who have received organs from other people and 
you know, had the experience of some personality changes and that have really been aligned with the donor. So I think that's a hugely interesting concept in itself. And it was really interesting to write about. I have to ask, after what you put Islin through and everything with Allison, are you wary about strangers approaching your kids? <laughs> well, I, I think I don't think I'm more wary than I would have been before. Um, but, you know, I, I made myself kind of go there when I was writing the characters. You know, how would I feel if 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 I was Isolene in her position? And this kind of impressive, older, wealthy woman strikes with contact and seems to just offer this help that you just so desperately need. And then, you know, it doesn't really become clear to her until right towards the end of the book that she wants way more than you'd ever be willing to give her. So it's it's a scary concept that, you know, who who do we invite into our lives and what are they really after? Yeah, and I think, you know, after after reading this book, I think there, there are probably going to be more than a few mothers out there who are going to hug their kids a, a little bit tighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm super, I mean, I'm, I've always been very cautious with, you know, things like safety and water safety. But I mean, I am now the kind of mom who stands watching my kids constantly at the beach, <laughs> even though they're very, very strong swimmers. So. Yeah, it's made me a little bit more paranoid, actually. <laughs> I love, too, that your book is dedicated to organ donors everywhere. You know, I think that's such a great sentiment. And also, it, it's a very big thank you to a, a very small group of people. Yes. I mean, I felt like if I was going to write about this, it's my way of somehow raising some awareness. Like, it, it is important to talk to your family about organ donation and so that they know what your wishes are in in the worst possible case scenario. Organ donation changes the lives of a lot of people and it's important. So can you tell us what you're working on next? Yeah, I'm currently working on a book called Playdate, um, which is kind of a missing child mystery, which has been done a lot. And I wanted to see if I can do it from a slightly different kind of approach. So it's actually a book about revenge and an eye for an eye and karma. That sounds like another page turner that we'll just have to wait for. <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking with Alex Dahl. Her new book is The Heart Keeper. Thank you for spending some time and talking to us about it. Oh, thank you for having me. And that's all she wrote for this week. Next time, go get dolled up. We're going to a wedding with Jasmine Guillory. Until then, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. <laughs>